Hello. Welcome to the Campus Bible Study Podcast. Join us each week as we hear from God's Word, as we seek to prayerfully proclaim the crucified Christ as Lord of all. John chapter 50 and verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they had persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Welcome, friends. My name's Tim, if we haven't met. Uh, we're going to keep your Bibles open, have an outline open. Uh, I'm going to pray and ask that God would speak to us through his word today. But, there we go. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the freedom to gather, to hear from your word, to have you speak to us. Father, we pray that you may put other distractions or concerns aside, that we may rightly hear you speak and respond to you by faith. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Do you remember when you finished high school? 
Uh, for many of you, it was a little more recently than when I finished high school. But in the midst of the hugs, of the excitement, of the joy of finishing that big milestone in life, did you have lots of those conversations of you know, wishing to stay connected, uh, promising to keep up with one another? Uh, the good times will continue as you'll continue to be friends forever. When I finished high school, I think most of us just didn't really know how to say goodbye and acknowledge that things would be different. And so we promised that things would be much the same, knowing that they probably wouldn't be. And as the weeks went by, we buried our heads in the books, then we did our exams, we all finished at different times. I stayed in the country, after, well, when the new year came, we all scattered. Some to TAFE, some to uni, some into different jobs. And after six months had passed, we realized that many of us weren't connected in nearly the same way that we had been. Perhaps some of you are feeling the same thing now. For so many of us, out of sight means out of mind. If you're not rubbing shoulders with people every day, you can kind of forget that they're there or they're not in the forefront of how we live and relate to each other. Long-term relationships are hard work. Now, not quite since I finished high school, but it was around that time, this wonderful thing called Facebook came along. And it meant that you can still be friends with that kid that you went to preschool with. Well, at least he's one of your 4,000 friends that you have on Facebook. But if you haven't actually seen them or talked with them, are you really connected with them? And even with the wonders of Facebook, if they don't post anything, well, you forget that they're there, don't you? They're not in your mind. They're not one of your connections. But this is just a, a reality of our relationships, isn't it? We can't keep up with everybody, and those that we are with and that we're around, they're in the forefront of our intention. And those that we cannot see, we feel less connected with, and they slip off. But what does that mean for how we can connect with and even stay connected with a God that we cannot see? You see, this issue is particularly significant for Jesus and his closest followers. If you remember the setting where Jesus first said these words, as Josh reminded us of, as the night before Jesus' death, now, his death was not goodbye, but his death was the beginning of what we saw in chapter 13 and verse 1, his departure out of this world. As he would go through the grave, he'd be raised to life again, then he'd be ascended to rule from his throne in heaven where he's currently seated. This would be a big change for them actually doing life with Jesus, physically being able to see him and touch him and have him amongst them. So how could they... And how can we stay connected with Jesus for life? Now, some of you are here finding out about Jesus. And your question isn't not, how can we stay connected? But why should I be connected? Or how can I be connected with Jesus or even with the true God? And these are all questions that Jesus has in mind as he speaks to his disciples in this upper room. So what does Jesus say? Well, as a brilliant teacher, he takes us, in our minds at least, out to the garden to understand. What does he say, verse 1? I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. The vine is this great image or, or metaphor, if you like, of one organism, one entity with lots of different parts, lots of branches. But this idea of a vine wasn't original to Jesus. And the vine is actually an old image that God had used to describe his people, the Israelites. If you want to get a little glimpse of this, take a look back in Psalm 80. As God describes how he rescued his people out of Egypt, he says, you, this is talking about God, you brought a vine, God brought a vine out of Egypt. 
and you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, it took deep root and it filled the land. That's God describing Israel coming from Egypt to have their own land, the land of Canaan. Or again, you can have a look at Hosea chapter 10 and verse 1 where God describes Israel as this luxuriant vine that yields fruit. So it's not a new image or a new idea that Jesus is bringing up. But have a look at what Jesus is claiming. In chapter 15 and verse 1, he doesn't just claim to be a vine. He says he is the true vine. If you're looking for God's people, look no further than Jesus himself. He is the fulfillment of Israel. He is the true people of God. He is the place to come to be connected with God. That's a pretty bold claim. But if you were here last week, you saw that Jesus claimed to be none other than the true temple, where God truly dwelt with his people. And more than that, he offered to prepare people to clean people so that God could come and make his dwelling in them. In Jesus, he was building this new spiritual temple where his people had God dwelling within them. This new temple, this new vine, they are the one thing, and it's all about Jesus. If you want to find the true people of God, you come to Jesus. And in verse 5, the true people of God are connected into Jesus like branches into a vine. Now, that's a nice picture. But reflect for a moment how wonderful this image really is. You see, if God was a vine and you just got to be another vine next to him, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? You're there in close proximity. Your branches and, and what vines might intertangle with one another. You're right beside God. Or maybe even closer and maybe a better reflection of what we are. Maybe you could be a caterpillar on the leaf of the vine that is God. Now, that's a pretty good connection, isn't it? Uh, it might not be the most flattering depiction of you, but you're right there with him, crawling over him. It's hard to get much closer to God than being a caterpillar on the vine that is God. But it goes even further, doesn't it? Uh, Jesus goes way beyond this and he says, you're so much more profoundly connected. You're a very branch in the true vine that is God. Isn't that a glorious connection for all God's people? Uh, an organic, a life-giving connection bound as one into the God who made you. And then Jesus says, if you're connected in this incredible way, verse 4, you better make sure you stay connected with me. Abide or remain. Make sure you stay dwelling with me as I do in you. Does that sound pretty amazing? What is it like to be connected with God in this way? Or at point two. From the outset, it's clear that being connected with God in this way has the purpose of bearing fruit. Have a look at verse 2. Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, God takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, God prunes that it may bear more fruit. You see, if you're connected with Jesus, then you must bear fruit. And indeed, the only way of bearing fruit is by being connected with Jesus. Have a look at verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. It's basic agriculture. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So being with Jesus, it both enables and it necessitates that branches bear fruit. 
As far as Jesus is concerned, there's no such thing as fruitless followers of Him. Either you're connected with Him and you're bearing much fruit, or you're cut off and there's no middle ground. But this begs the question, what is the fruit? Well, here's an opportunity for you to meet the person sitting next to you. Uh, to have a look back through the passage and have a go at answering this question. You can take a whole minute, enjoy the time. What is the fruit? I'll see you in a minute. And let's come back together. I'm not sure how you found it, but it, it's not the simplest question. Uh, to try and work out what this fruit is, it's hard to find a clear answer. And that actually might be half the point. You see, every Christian branch must bear this fruit. And it's only possible to bear this fruit through being connected with Jesus. But what is it? Well, in verse 7, the fruit seems to be connected with Jesus' words abiding in his people. And somehow this promise that whatever they ask will be done. We see these same ideas come up down in verse 16, if you have a look. Because here Jesus says that his disciples have been appointed in order to go and bear fruit. And that their fruit would abide. Now that sounds a bit like bringing new branches into the vine to abide in the vine. To bear new fruit, to multiply that. And if you're with us last week, we saw in chapter 14 and verses 12 to 14, this idea of God's people going out and proclaiming the good news to others, that others would be brought into the people of God. It went alongside this great promise that God would enable that and support that through well, through the power of prayer. And again, we see that same thing that in verse 16, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you as we go out seeking to bear fruit of bringing new branches into the vine. And so this fruit, it seems to include knowing Jesus' words and proclaiming Jesus' words that offer forgiveness. And it's all empowered by the bold prayers of his people. Uh, if you like, you could say that the fruit to start with is loving the world by speaking Jesus' words in dependence on God. But then in verse 8, we keep going. The fruit of Jesus' disciples is glorifying to God, and it's also proof that they are disciples. This fits with what we've been speaking, this fits with what we've just said about speaking God's word to the world. But do you remember what Jesus said back in chapter 13 would be the distinguishing mark of his disciples? Uh, chapter 13, if you flip back a page, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because in chapter 15 and verse 10, the fruit of abiding in Jesus' love is keeping his commandments. And that makes sense, doesn't it? If Jesus' words are in you, then you're going to obey them. You're going to live them out. And what are his commandments? Well, just like we saw in chapter 13, have a look down in verse 12. And then again in verse 17. Twice we're reminded that this command is to love one another. That is, the love that we have for one another as God's people seems to be a key fruit of being connected with Jesus. So maybe we can bring that into our our previous definition, uh, the, fruit of Christian, the fruit of the Christian life is to be glorifying God through loving each other and the world by obeying and speaking Jesus' words all in dependence on God. Uh, is that a, somewhat of a working definition of this fruit? You see, the fruit of the Christian life is a life that revolves around God, isn't it? 
It's all about seeking His glory. It's all about loving His people and about proclaiming His word to His world. And it's all done in dependence on Him. He's the one who's doing it. So if you're a follower of Jesus here today, can I ask, is this what your life is all about? Is this the fruit that fills your life? Is this the passion that controls your life? Is this what we're characterized by? So it seems like Jesus is saying this is what the normal Christian life should be full of. But just before you think that this life seems burdensome and dreary and hard work, let's keep seeing this picture of what Jesus says, following him, being bound to him and abiding in him, what it really looks like. Have a look. In verse 9, we see the Christian life. It's a life lived within the love of Jesus. And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. How do you remain in Jesus' love? Well, by staying connected with him through obeying his words. And that's what Jesus has modeled in obedience to the Father, saying the Father's love. And that's what we are to do too. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is the richness of the Father and the Son's relationship, is how we relate with Jesus. Now you know that relationships break down when we stop listening, and it's the same with God. When we turn our back on Him, when we block our ears, when we stop listening to His voice, we walk away from His love. But to remain open and attentive and obedient to His Word, to have His Word dwelling richly within us, it helps us to abide with Him, to stay focused on Him, to keep connected with God. Now, sadly, in our experience, when you submit yourself to someone else, it can often lead to oppression, to sadness, to abuse. This is not at all the case when it comes to God. God commands, they come to us clothed in love, in affection, in a deep concern for us. In verse 11, we see that living the fruitful life is therefore a life filled with joy. The joy of being connected with God, the joy of following the best rules for life. The joy of living securely within the love of God, a love that nothing can take away. It's the joy of having a fruitful, a purposeful, a joyful life to live. Knowing these excellent truths gives God's people great joy. And the life connected with God, it's actually full of purpose as well. That's not blind obedience that Jesus calls for, because he's revealed what he's doing in the world. And he calls on his followers people like you and me to follow him, to join him in this task. Have a look at verse 15. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father. I have made known to you. And Jesus followers know and they join in with God's plan for the whole world. And that plan is for God to be rightly glorified as his people bear much fruit, loving each other and loving the world around them. And they do it by speaking Jesus' words in dependence on him. Now, for Jesus' disciples the night before he died, they wouldn't have been able to understand what this meant. That picture was too big and too great for them. But as the day transformed into the week, the week that changed the world, as they thought, saw their Lord and Master die and then be raised to life again. Then as God sent His Spirit to dwell within them, then they came to understand the bigness and the majesty of God's plan for the whole world that they were involved in. 
we have the privilege of seeing how Jesus' disciples, his followers, went on to understand and describe God's plan. Have a look in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9. Paul writes this, he says, God has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Jesus Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. And what is that plan? To unite all things in him, in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. Or similarly in Colossians chapter 1 and verses 19 and 20, we see in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. How? By making peace through the blood of his cross. And this is what God is doing in the world. This is his purpose for the fullness of time. And this is what we are involved in if we are connected with God. So what is life like for those who are connected with God? Well, it's full of love and joy and purpose. You know God, you know what he's doing in the world. And you're called and you're equipped to join him in his task, to bear fruit, to bring about his eternal plan. Now, that's a pretty special role, isn't it? That's pretty important. It's, I'd even venture so far as to say it's truly the best life anyone could want to live. So why wouldn't you be connected with God? Well, here's another chance to chat with the person. Actually, another question to discuss. If being connected with God is so great, why wouldn't everyone be following Jesus? Why would Jesus need to tell his disciples that they need to stay connected with him? And why do we need to work to be connected with God? Here's a question for you. Why wouldn't you be connected with God? 30 seconds. Enjoy the chat. Well, point three. Why wouldn't you be connected with God? Well, one obvious reason that comes out pretty clearly in the passage in Jesus' words is if you're connected with God, then you're going to be hated by the world. You're not going to fit in. And not fitting in can be a pretty painful experience, can't it? Have a read with me from verses 18 to 21. Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. As Christians, we follow the one who was hated by the world, so much so that the world put him to death. Sadly, the world hasn't changed. It continues to hate those who are with Jesus. It might look like violence or being silenced, perhaps imprisoned or at the very least excluded and cut off. But notice the choice that we all have to make is whose love we want to pursue. It's whose hatred and fear we want to avoid most strongly. Because on the one hand, you see, you can be connected with God and abide in the love of God. Though that will bring with it the hatred of the world. On the other hand, Jesus says you can be loved by the world and you can be one of the world. But that means you're disconnected from God, living under the wrath, the judgment of God. It's a choice that we all have to make. Whose love will you choose? Whose anger would you rather avoid? Have you noticed that sometimes we like to hold up the example of Christian celebrities? You know, those that the world loves who also love Jesus. 
have you noticed that that's not the picture that the Bible gives us of what the normal Christian experience is? I wonder if the Israel Folau scandal, which you may remember from a couple of years ago, whether that's more like what we should expect. Now you can argue about how Israel Folau went about expressing his faith or, or just what he's expressing. But he's a pretty clear example, isn't it? That if you stand up for what the Bible teaches, even if you're the best rugby player in Australia, you're going to feel the hatred of the world. And that's what we should expect from the world. If you're connected with Jesus, you abide in his love, but you expect the world to hate you. And that can mean that you might not want to stick with Jesus. We see another reason why some people aren't connected with God in verse 2. And I reckon this one's actually even more confronting, more confronting than the hatred of the world. You see, some branches are taken away because they do not bear fruit. This means there's no such thing as that nominal Christian, if you like, as someone who calls himself a Christian by name, but doesn't actually live it out, doesn't bear fruit in their life. If there's no fruit of love and obedience, the warning is that God removes branches like this to receive his judgment. For the disciples, this was probably a sobering reassurance that though Judas, who was one of them, has just gone out to betray Jesus, this was not against God's plan, it was even within his sovereign rule. But it's, well for us, is it just a loving prod towards fruitful living? I take it that very few branches wake up one day having been fruitful yesterday and then decide to produce no fruit the next. I think the far greater risk for us is to be content with or to even aim for bearing just a little bit of fruit. I mean, if the world's going to hate you, surely bearing a lot of fruit is going to get the attention of the world. Now, if you want to stick with Jesus, you need to bear some fruit. But what's the kind of minimum requirement, if you like? Can you bear just enough so that you stick with Jesus and are in his love and avoid God's judgment, but not so much fruit that the world really gets angry and life gets pretty tough in the here and the now? But did you notice that's not the Christian life? That's not abiding in Jesus. That's not the picture that Jesus gives us. Did you notice that if you bear some fruit in verse 2, God comes and prunes the branches that they would bear more fruit. In verse 5, if you abide in Jesus, you bear not just a little fruit, you bear much fruit. And in verse 8, bearing much fruit is glorifying to God. You see, branches that are connected to God bear much fruit for God's glory. Lots and lots of fruit is a result of God's work in your life. And that's a wonderful thing. And so do you see that to actually aim for only a little bit of fruit, to not look too weird in the world's eyes, well, you've already taken a dangerous step to say, I'm going to reject what God has said my life should be like, because I think I know best. And as soon as we've started to put our word over God's word, we're starting to walk away from the vine that has life and joy and peace. In verse 6, those who aren't connected with God are described as being like branches that wither and dry out and are thrown into the fire. Now that's a dreadful image, isn't it? It's a dreadful image when you remember the reality that the branches are people. Now, I don't say this lightly. I don't know how you feel about the judgment of God. But it's a reality that God has given us to wrestle with. And it's a deeply confronting reality. 
I was reminded of this just the other week when someone in my extended family died. And she was a loving and an impressive woman. She wasn't connected with Jesus. And so passing into death is not going into peace. Suffering the judgment of God. But in deep contrast, just the other day, a friend's dad passed away. And he was connected with God. And so he remains connected with God. Death is not something to be feared for those who are with Jesus. But there's the incredible blessing and the assurance for all who are with him that they will be with him forever. So how can you be connected with God? We're at point four. Now, not much for gardener, but if you do want to know one thing about vines, they like to grow. As long as they are living, they remain connected to their life-giving root, those branches will just keep on growing and growing and growing. And so inherent in this metaphor of God's people being a vine is the expectation that they'll continue to grow, that new branches will come, and they too will bear fruit. Now, we're seeing that being connected with God is a great thing. But we've also seen that the world hates those who are connected with God. So you might think that the smart place for a vine to be is in a nice, safe greenhouse. What do you do when the world out there hates you? You just come into a nice little Christian commune where you can love one another and stay protected from that world out there. Why would you want to go out there if it's just going to be hard? Well, here's one last chance to chat with the person next to you. Why are you going to leave the greenhouse? Why bother going to connect with the world, going to try and connect the world with God? Take 30 seconds and then we'll bring it home. Let's come back together. Why do we bother trying to connect the world with God, even if it's going to be painful, even if it's putting our neck out there? Well, we do it out of love, don't we? That's what we've seen. We do it out of love for the glory of God. It's part of our purpose as being those who abide in Jesus. We're part of this vine to bear fruit. And part of that fruit is speaking God's offer of forgiveness to the world that needs to hear it. That's the hope that verse 16 holds out, is that as we speak this word, new branches would be brought in and that they would abide. They'd be connected with God. They might last and have peace and joy with God forever. That's why we do it. When I graduated from uni, I got to work for a company that uh, helped repair and maintain these helicopters. It was fun work. It was great that you know, I got to repair some stuff and install some stuff. But the reality is some of the stuff that I probably put on those helicopters has already been made redundant. Some of the other stuff is corroding and will be replaced by the next engineer in a couple of years' time. My work that I did there, if it abides 10 years, it's doing well. 20 years, that's somewhat amazing, but you know, it'll probably well, disappear before I do. But with God, do you see what the offer is? We can do a work, we can be part of a work, the project of the living God in the world, we can do work that abides not just for a couple of years, but forever. Isn't that a great joy and a privilege? So how can you come to be connected with God and to take part in this work? Well, first thing you need to see that it's not through what you do. Notice that while Jesus' followers bear fruit as part of their lives, they're not brought in because of the fruit that they've borne. Verse 5 makes that pretty clear that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Nothing of value in God's sight that would earn us merit, that would 
you know, bias a place in his fine. The only way anyone can be connected with God is through what Jesus has done. Oh, we saw that last week in chapter 14 and verse 6, if you look back. Chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus makes that wild and exclusive claim that he is the only way to God. And why is that so? Well, if you look at chapter 15 and verse 13, we're reminded that he opened that way by lovingly laying down his life so that the world could be reconciled to God. It's only through Jesus' ultimate act of love, laying down his life for his friends, that the world could come to know God, that they could have peace with God, that they could abide in God. Now, the incredible truth is that Jesus actually laid down his life so that those in the world who hate him could be reconciled to him. They could be God's friends. You can't connect yourself with God, but because what Jesus has done in laying down his life, anyone can be connected with him. So Jesus makes it possible through his death and his resurrection for the world to be connected to God. But do you know how he brings that about day by day? Have a look at verses 26 and 27. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You see, Jesus sends his Spirit into the world to bear witness to the world so that the world would know Jesus. And how the Spirit does this is through God's people proclaiming this great truth, this great offer of life and reconciliation. It started with those first disciples, those who'd been with Jesus from the beginning, who saw all that he said and did. And it continues with you and I who have that same spirit and who have the, the record of what those first disciples saw and heard and said. So if we come back to our summary, the normal and the required fruit of the Christian life, what have we got? The fruit of the Christian life is by the Spirit and for the glory of God. It's produced by the Spirit and for the glory of God through loving each other and the world by obeying and speaking Jesus' words in dependence on God. Now, I'm sorry if you wrote down this sentence the first time that I put it up and now you've had to add bits as you go along, but that's just the way it goes. Uh, we all do this work. But do you see how much it all comes from God and not our own strength? And so the key to bearing much fruit is staying connected. And the reverse is also true. The key to staying connected is by bearing much fruit. But before we get there, can I say if you aren't connected with God, you can change that today. Stop doing life on your own. As an enemy of God, hostile at war, alienated from his life and his joy and his peace and his purpose. But instead, come and be joined to your creator through the loving death of his son. If you have big questions, if you want to find out more, can I point you back to the slip that Josh drew your attention to at the start? That second box at the top says, I'd like to learn more about Jesus. If you tick that box, we'd love to get in touch with you, uh, connect you with the course, answer your questions, help you work out how you can abide in Jesus and find the love of God. But you might be ready to come and make peace with God today. It's not a magical or a mystical thing. It's really just talking to God. You can talk to God by praying from the, the depths of your own heart. If you just acknowledge and say sorry that you've lived in hatred towards him, rebelling against him and rejecting his word. If you say thank you that Jesus died in your place 
so that you could be brought near to God, that you could be reconciled to Him. If you ask that God will graciously forgive your sins and then help you to live a life that is fruitful and pleasing to Him, that's the prayer that God loves to answer. It's a prayer you can make today. If you do make that prayer, there's a box at the top there that says, I want to follow Jesus for the first time. If you tick that, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you work out what it looks like to live this fruitful life, abiding in Jesus for the rest of your life. There's nothing more important or more joyful that you can do. But whether you pray that prayer for the first time today or whether you've prayed something like that many years ago, if you're with Jesus, how do you stay connected with him? Stay connected with him throughout your life for the long haul. Well, being connected with God, it's this immense blessing. But when you can't see him, it can be easy for him to slip out of your mind, can't it? Well, Jesus' first message, or his message to his first, first disciples, is the same message that you and I need to hear, isn't it? It's simple. Stick with Jesus. Remain with him. Abide in him. Don't go anywhere else. Don't look for anyone else. He is everything you need and all that you need. And what does that look like? Well, you get to remain in His love. You have His Word abiding within you. You obey His commands. And as you fill your life with God's works, God remains front and center of your life. He doesn't slip out when your life is consumed by His purposes in the world. And when you seek to bear much fruit for His glory, rather than pursuing your own fruit for your own glory. You see, being connected with God and bearing a fruitful life, they go hand in hand. They build each other up. They mean that your whole life is consumed by what should consume your whole life. Because like your Facebook friends who you never see, when God is pushed out of the center of the stage, it's easy to forget Him, to stop living for His glory, to stop seeking His fruit. But being connected to Him first and foremost is about bearing much fruit. So what might this look like for you? Well, over afternoon tea, I hope you can hang around with us and keep chatting with each other about what this might look like. But I just wanted to give you a pretty ordinary example of what the pretty ordinary Christian life might look like. And it's from one of my pretty ordinary friends that I go to church with, and he'd probably appreciate being called just an ordinary Christian. Uh, he works an ordinary job as a personal trainer. He's at the gym and he's open about his faith. Sometimes it leads to good conversation. Sometimes he cops it for it. Particularly a couple of years ago, during the same-sex marriage plebiscite, he had a really hard time at work, but he continued to stand up for his faith. Uh, his boss is gay. His gym had rainbow flags and vote yes all around it, but he continued to seek to honor Jesus in a loving and respectful way. Uh, he's a Bible study leader at church. Each week, he puts about three or four hours into prepping the study. He wants to work really hard to know God's Word, to have His Word dwelling within him, to know how to rightly teach and to lead his people. As he shares life with his Bible study group week by week, he's praying for their families and his friends and their friends who aren't connected with Jesus. It's just ordinary work, but it's the profoundly important work that he keeps on trying to put front and center in his life. He's trying to raise his kids to know what it looks like to, to honor Jesus at school amongst the pressures of teenage life. He's there every week on a Sunday trying to meet the new people at church so that they could come to be connected and abide in Jesus. He's an encourager. He's a faithful, perseverant. He's going to be the last guy to say that he's the, the model that you should follow. But he's just one ordinary example 
of an ordinary Christian trying to bear fruit in his life for the glory of God. And I wonder what your ordinary Christian life could look like too. How do we keep on seeking to bear much fruit for the glory of Jesus, holding fast to him and abiding in him? Because nothing is more important for this life or the life to come. Let's pray that we would stay connected to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus has come into the world so that we could be connected with you through him. Father, we pray that we may all be connected in to find life in Jesus. If we still have questions, if there's things that we need to work through, may we commit to working them out and finding life and peace with you. And Father, if we have come to Jesus, may we abide in you. May we bear much fruit. Help us to persevere through the hatred of the world. Help us to cling to and abide in your love. Father, thank you that you've brought us into a community where so many of us can love and support each other to live this way. May we never grow complacent or to wander off from the vine. But may you hold fast to us as we seek to live our lives for you. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Campus Bible Study Podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed on your regular podcasting app. And why don't you check us out at Facebook, YouTube, or visit our website at campusbiblestudy.org.